Mark chapter 4 at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. I tell you what, I'm going to start over again. He has just told a parable of the four soils. The sower and the four soils, okay? That's in verses 1 through 9. Okay, keep that in mind. He's just told a parable. That parable told, he says. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand All the parables. Verse 33. With many such parables he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, I am about to do something that um, that public speakers are told never to do. Um, I want to warn you that what you're going to hear this morning just (laughs) very possibly may bore you. And I hate to bore people. But, but let me uh, quickly try to defend myself. Um, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, it's a series uh, uh, on the parables, as you may have detected. A series that may last a year or so. Um, and since parables, as you saw in this text, and I'll, I'll point it out later, but Um, since parables were such a critical part of Jesus' teaching methodology, it seemed to me, whether rightly or wrongly, um, that that it would help us to enjoy the parables themselves more if we knew a little bit about the backstory on parables themselves. So this morning... We're not going to talk about a parable. And, and they're usually great fun to talk about. But we're not going to talk about a parable. We're going to talk about parables in general. <laughs> and there's a sense in which you've got to think more this morning than you're going to have to when we get to the parables. Because the parables themselves are captivating. But we're not talking about a parable. What we're doing is introducing... A series about parables. You know, I do this every time. When we start a new um, um, uh, series, 
I always spend a Sunday trying to introduce things, kind of set the stage for you, so in the hopes that it'll be more enjoyable for you. And you know, they're always the most boring of the whole series. So, <laughs> I mean, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but my hope is, is that we, if we know something about parables in general, it's going to help us once we get to the parables themselves. It's going to help us, it's going to help us appreciate all those parables that we're going to look at over the next year. Okay? <laughs> Yikes. Um, as I was completing the, the study of the book of Esther, I, of course, gave much thought as to um, what I should do next, what I should do after Esther. And so immediately I came to the conclusion that whatever I did, it had to be something out of the New Testament because we had done two straight Old Testament books. We had done, I'm sure you remember, we had done Job and we had done Esther. Those are both Old Testament books. And so I thought, well, we've got to do something New Testament. Okay, so if we're going to do something New Testament, what's it going to be? What should I do in the New Testament that, 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 you know, that I haven't done here before? Um, and I thought, uh, well, the first thing that really came to my mind was the Gospel of John. I said, I, I, I can't do the Gospel of John. That will take me years. I probably wouldn't finish the Gospel of John before I'm dead. So um, I, I want to choose something that is, that is more manageable. Something that, you know, that is um, maybe a year or so. And so I landed on this, this, uh, the parables, the parables of, of Jesus in the New Testament. But very interestingly, as I did, um, the length of the series really was determined, as you can well imagine, by how many, how many parables are there. And to my great surprise, there is widespread disagreement about how many parables there are. I read about 10 commentaries as I prepared these things, and, and this is one of them. This is by G. Campbell Morgan. That's a name that's familiar to some of you. G. Campbell Morgan lists 65 parables. James Boyce uh, covers 22 parables. Uh, Herman Hanko, he covers 30 parables. So which is it? 65, 22, or 30. And then the, some of the other commentaries, they, they, they had a different number too. They, they all disagree about how many parables there are. How does that happen? How does it happen? It seemed like it would be an easy thing to figure, well, there's a parable, there's a parable. Well, it's not, it may be not quite as easy as you think. Uh, if you can find Mark chapter 7 real quick, this I thought was rather comical. Um, starting in verse 14, I'm not going to read this, but this is a... This is an episode in the life of Jesus where he's talking about what goes inside a man does not defile him and what comes out of him defiles him. It's not the, that's not the food that goes inside and what comes out of him. That's what defiles him. And then, it, <coughs> pardon me, in verse 17, the, um, and when he had uh, entered the house and left, the, his disciples asked him about the parable. <coughs> uh, he's finished and goes inside the house and the parable and the, the disciples say, what about this parable? And if you'll read verse 18, what, what in essence Jesus says in verse 18 is, parable? That wasn't a parable, you dunces. He didn't say that, but that wasn't a parable. My, my point is, some of the commentaries would include that when, when Jesus says, it's not a parable. 
tell you another factor that, that I think um, contributes to the, the varying numbers. Um, take the term bride of Christ. Now, guys, that's a rich, rich metaphor. And some will include a whole chapter on just that term, the bride of Christ, and call it a parable. I wouldn't call it a parable. I would call it a metaphor. It's a very rich metaphor. But you see, a parable is an extended metaphor. Um, a parable is a lengthy metaphor, not just a, a, a phrase. So all I'm telling you is the length of this series is really determined by the ones that, that I kind of identified as being truly parabolic. You know? And so what we're going to do is, is 20 or 30 or so. And, um, and some of those parables, like the prodigal son, uh, deserve far more than just one sermon. And we're going to give them far more than one sermon. So I'm suggesting that this will take us about a year with some interruptions. And um, we'll finish up, hopefully, before I've bored you to tears or I've had a heart attack or some petition begins to circulate saying, please stop him. (laughs) Anyway, um, that's what's in this. So this morning, all I've got for you is introduction, an introduction to the parables. And, And I'm hoping that what you hear today will enhance your, your, your understanding of the parables once we finally do get to them. All right? Okay, let's start like this. What is a parable? <laughs> um, gang, the Greek term is parabole or parabole. Um, it's a combination of two Greek words. One's a preposition, one's a verb. Para is a preposition which means alongside of, like paraclete. You remember that? Um, the other is a verb, balo, comes from a verb, balo. And what does balo sound like? Balo sounds like ball. And what do you do with a ball? You throw it. Well, and balo means to throw. The Greek word parabalo uh, uh, means thrown alongside of or to throw alongside of. That's what the word means. And that's what Jesus would do. A parable was an insight into a, into a reality. And so Jesus would teach a reality uh, or some kind of insight, and then he would throw alongside a parable. The intent of which was to help us understand the truth that he was trying to communicate. It was a story that he threw alongside. All all designed so that you and I could could understand reality better. Okay, Jimmy, I got it. Um, Then a parable is just a story. Well, the only problem with that statement is the word just. It's just a story. No, ladies and gentlemen, a parable is not just a good story which you might expect because it was Jesus Christ who were telling these things. Jesus was a master storyteller, folks. Um, but but he's, he's doing more than merely entertaining or storytelling or spinning some kind of yarn. 
In fact, on, on one occasion, I, I don't know whether you've ever read this, but this is in John 7. On one occasion, the Sanhedrin sent some, a, a soldier out to arrest Jesus. Go get him and bring him back to us. So the guy goes out to arrest Jesus, and in a few hours he comes back and uh, he doesn't have Jesus. The Sanhedrin says, where's Jesus? We sent you to go arrest him. Where, where, why didn't you bring him? You remember what he said? The soldier said, no man ever spoke like that man. You want me to arrest somebody that talks like that? I couldn't possibly arrest somebody who speaks with such poignancy. And much of that speaking, ladies and gentlemen, was in parables. Did you, did you see that in, in verses 33 and 34? Verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable. Did you realize that? That was a new thought for me. That so much of his teaching ministry was parables. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at as why in a, in a minute. But guys, a, a, a parable is indeed intended to illustrate and describe a particular truth. It's a, it's a method of instruction. It's, a, it's used to clarify heavenly realities. On numerous occasions, Jesus would say things like this. He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And I love those passages because I usually can understand them. He would say, um, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. And normally, everything on the other side of the like, I could get. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. Oh, okay, I got that. So you're telling me that the kingdom is like that. And I understand that. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. First of all, parables are a piece of condescension. On the part of the Lord Jesus. He condescends to teach us things via parables because we are inherently dense. And so he, he, he condescends to teach us things that we can get. <laughs> you know, guys, they're really even still more than that. They're still more than just illustrations. But they're, they're arguments. They are, they're small pieces of proof. For instance, when, when Jesus, when the church is called the bride of Christ. Gang, that's more than an illustration. It's a lesson. It's a lesson by way of definition. It tells you things. It's not just a nice little illustration. Oh, okay. It's, he's teaching something. And so normally, the, the intent of the parables is to adjust our world view. In essence, a parable says something like this. You think that this is what's going on. But that's not what's going on. This is what's going on. You think that reality is this. It's really not that. It's this. And so what parables do 
is that they give us a way to think. They give us a, a perspective. For instance, um, have you ever heard it said, um, all the world's going to hell in a handbasket? We all agree about that, don't we? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but the parables come alongside and say, well, that might, that, that might be true, but I want to tell you how to think about that. I want to tell you what your perspective on that should be. I'm going to give you insight to what you're seeing because what you're seeing and reality may be two different things. And so parables are these rich, metaphorical, illustrative pieces of revelation that are trying to help us understand what reality really is. And guys, you're going to see that again and again and again in these parables. They are downright genius. And you're going to come in here on a Sunday morning and you're going to be thinking one thing about reality and then you're going to hear one of Jesus' parables and you're going to say, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to view that. That's what a parable does, ladies and gentlemen. And they are powerful. Okay, second thing. Why so many? Why could the gospel of Mark say he did not speak to them without a parable? <laughs> now, understand what, what, what is meant there is that Jesus would teach certain things and then he would throw alongside. It's not to say that it was only parables, but every time he spoke, he would use a parable. He would, he would try to communicate something and he would throw alongside a parable so that he could illustrate this. But why, why, is, this, why is that necessary? Well, I'm sure there's many reasons, but the main one, of course, is this. Have you ever... Have you ever seen children that are, that are so restless that, that neither your threats nor your bribes could quiet them down? And then that same group of kids sits spellbound listening to a nursery tale? You know, guys, I had that exact experience about two months ago. I went to Grandparents' Day um, at, at my little granddaughter's school. And, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, please, I am never going to win any Grandparent of the Year awards. I promise you. <clears throat> I am a, I, I, on the spectrum of good grandparents and bad grandparents, I'm much closer to the bad one end than I am the good end. But anyway, <clears throat> I didn't want you to get some impression that he's such a good granddaddy. He went, no, 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 no. I, I went. <clears throat> so, of course, the, the, the kids, my, my, my granddaughter is in the first grade. No, she's not. Sometimes I forget her name, too, but uh, that's just a joke. Um, uh, I think she's in kindergarten. <clears throat> she's in one of those. Um, but anyway, I mean, the kids were just out of their minds. You know, they, uh, the whole routine was different, and they had punch and cookies in the room, and, and the teacher was all dressed up, and, and, and here comes, you know, Big Jim. That's what they call me. 
Um, and there were other grandparents in the room, but the kids were just, ah, you know, they were just going crazy and running all over the rooms. And they, and the teacher was, you know, very tolerant of everything that was going on, but there was about a 20 minute section that they had to wait before they went upstairs for their program. And I was in the, in the little classroom with my granddaughter, along with some other grandparents. And I mean, it was just chaos. And so the teacher in all of her skill said, all right, girls, boys. Come on, come on, sit down. We're going to read a story. And so every one of them, zip, and she read Ferdinand the Bull. It's a good little story. I really liked it. Uh, um, But I'm telling you, kids that were out of their minds sat down. And I mean, they had heard it several times before. She would stop and they would fill in the words. But they listened to that story. You know, guys, I've told you this before, but I've had this experience on numerous occasions where I'm up here preaching my little heart out and you're completely disengaged. My audience is completely disengaged and, and you're, you know, your heads are down and, and you're, you know, doodling and, you know, writing your grocery list. And when is this going to be over? And I say, um, let me tell you a story. And all of a sudden, everybody looks up and I can see you. I can see, you know, all I see is your bald spots. And then all of a sudden, I see your face. And all I got to say is, let me tell you a story. Because a story is a thing that, ladies and gentlemen, captures its audience by the ears. And that's why Jesus told so many of them. You might can lose an audience with this, but I'm telling you, just about every one of you are going to leave here remembering Ferdinand the Bull. Because that's, what a, that's the power of a story. That's why he uses so many. Now, gang, what time is it? Because we have really arrived at the most difficult part of this sermon. And it's, it's not only the most difficult, it's the most complex. It has to do with the purpose behind parables. Indeed, generally speaking, the purpose is revelation. That is, God is revealing things. But I want you to see what our text says, folks. And I'm about to say something. And there is going to be this visceral response on the part of so many of you. And I think I know why. I'll explain that in a minute. <clears throat> but according to Mark, by the way, this is, it's also found in Matthew chapter 11. Um, but according to this statement, look at it. Um, uh, they, they come in after he's told the parable and, and, the, and the, they, they come in from the outside. They're inside the house and the, uh, and the disciples ask him about parables. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. And he said to them. To you, not them, but to you here on the inside. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But those, but for those outside, 
Everything is in parables. So that... that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Do you know what you just heard? You've just heard the purpose of parables. You know what it is? The purpose of parables is to hide the truth. What do you mean? I mean, my mind is racing back to my my Sunday school days when when some well-intentioned Sunday school teacher told me that that a parable is is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is not so much erroneous as it is short-sighted. The function of a parable, read it. I give everybody outside parables so that they can see it, but not get it, so that they can hear it. never understand them. Guys, a parable functions much like, do you remember back in the Old Testament, it's, uh, it's Exodus chapter 13, and um, are you with me? Have you shifted gears with me? Old Testament, Israel had just been delivered out of Egypt. And they're headed to the promised land. And it's in those early days, the first 72 hours. And they come to the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army has, um, has um, uh, rallied. And they're about to chase. They're going to chase the, um, uh, Israel now. And they come to the Red Sea. And, and God does this, this strange thing. What he does is he inserts a pillar of cloud and fire. Remember that? Well, a parable functions like that thing. Depending on which side of the cloud that you're on, if you're on that side of the cloud, I mean, you're blinded. You don't know where to go. You can't see anything. I just, you know, that thing's in the way. But if you're on the other side of it, it, it kind of illuminates your path. That's what a parable does. Gang, if you have never heard this before, not, not, I mean, I'm just going to read it to you. If you've never heard this before, it's time to hear it now. It's, um, it's a statement made by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and he says this. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Listen. To one... A fragrance from death to death to the other. A fragrance from life to life. 
Guys, do you realize that when I'm up here and, and, and if I accomplish faithfully the preaching of the gospel, if I do, and that's a big if, but if I faithfully preach the gospel from this pulpit on a Saturday morning, it does two things. It is an aroma of life to life for those of you who are, are, are saved. But to others, it is a stench. Parables do that, ladies and gentlemen. They, they cloud the path on one side of them. But, but on the other side of them, they light the way. Did you see what was in the text? Look at verse 34 back at Mark 4. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. You see it right there? You know, guys, um, he still does that. He takes his people aside and he explains everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. And via these parables, he's teaching us how to think and what to think. And if I am empowered by God the Holy Spirit to handle them well, they will change the way we think. And they should. That's what they're intended to do. That is because we're on one side of the pillar from the cloud of fire. On the other side, they just get darkness. Now, one other thing and I'm done. As for interpreting them, as for interpreting a parable, and, and, and I, I hope I can help you with that, because guys, you need to be your own students of the scriptures. <clears throat> if your soul, if your spiritual life depends on the 35-minute little ditty you get from me every Sunday morning, you're in big trouble. Uh, because some of it I get right, some of it I don't get right, some of it is boring, some of it you miss, some of it... You know, but So, <clears throat> what I want trying to help you is to become a student of this book yourself. So how do you interpret these things when you come to one? The, the danger in interpreting parables, and they are tricky, the, the danger is <clears throat> on both ends of the spectrum. <clears throat> you can go too far, or you cannot go far enough. There are two of the parables that we're going to look at. Actually, the one in Mark 4 is one of them, parable of the four soils. Uh, there are two parables in the New Testament that Jesus interprets for us himself. And so when we come to those, you need to listen up really carefully <clears throat> because we can learn things about interpreting the parables from him. He'll teach us how to interpret because he'll interpret two of them for us. But generally speaking, guys, parables have one main lesson. Um, there is one respected commentarian that, that I read just recently who suggested that there is a lesson for each main character of the parable. For instance, um, the prodigal son. You've got the father, you've got the prodigal son, you've got the elder brother. So he's suggesting that there are three lessons in that parable. 
You know what? That's a pretty good rule of thumb and, and one that you might not um, want to forget. Um, but you cannot get bogged down in every detail of the story. For instance, in the prodigal son, um, <clears throat> uh, the father gives the prodigal son some new sandals. What are the sandals about? I don't know. What about the ring that he puts on his finger? I don't know what that's about. I don't really need to. Um, do you know the parable of Lazarus and the rich man? You know, um, they both die and Lazarus goes to heaven and the rich man goes to hell. You remember that one? We're going to start at that one because that one is, oh, boy, it's, it's something. But um, there's this conversation that breaks out between uh, the rich man and, and, and heaven. Now, is that parable teaching us that there will be communication between heaven and hell? No. Do the sights and the sounds of misery in hell disturb the peace in the rest of heaven? No. The point is that there's an inseparable chasm. I'll give you one more. You know the parable of the ten virgins? We'll talk about that one too. The parable of the ten virgins. There's five wise ones. There's five uh, unwise ones, foolish ones. Does that mean that 50% are saved and 50% are lost? No. No. You, it, it's, it's like this. If I were to say to you, um, that man spent eight months in a Kansas City jail. And you say, that's not true. It was six months. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you missed the point. You're quibbling about the details. The man went to jail. That's the point. And that's what you've got to do with parables. You've got to discipline yourself to find the overall main primary message. And not let, let some of the details unnecessarily, unnecessarily disturb you or misdirect you. Concentrate on finding the main message of the parable. And that's my challenge in this coming year. Is to make sure that we don't miss that. I can mangle some of the stuff on the side. But in terms of the central message, that is what Jesus would have to readjust the way we think. And that's what's got to be handled very carefully. Now, let me close. You know, guys, if you're, if you're still awake and your Bible is still in your lap, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Um, this is an oft-preached chapter because it says a whole lot. Uh, but one of the things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 is this, and I, I, I love this statement in verse, in verse 18. He says this, For the word of the cross, that is, the preaching of the cross, the word of the cross... Is folly. Your translation might have the word foolishness. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, guys, there, there are two kinds of folly. There is the Ha, 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 folly. 
And then there's the folly. Guys, if you read the stories called parables that Jesus tells in the New Testament, and you say, ho hum, or ha ha, then you are most likely outside of the kingdom of God. Because for us, these stories are treasures. Guys, um, at, at one particular juncture in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, a particularly low juncture, uh, a disappointing season in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It was in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, um, Jesus had been teaching all that stuff about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. You remember that? And he comes to verse 66 in the chapter. And um, the, the text says, And many of his disciples withdrew from him and were following him no more. Got this big crowd. He's been teaching this stuff. And he looks at the crowd and they're beginning to, they're beginning to leave him. And um, he turns to the 12, or he, he turns to his followers that was left. And um, in a moment of abject pathos, he says to them, Do you want to leave too? Hmm? You want to leave? And Peter piped up. And do you remember what he said? He said, Leave? <laughs> leave? For heaven's sakes, where would we go? Only you have words of life. Ain't that the truth? It's this Savior of ours, ladies and gentlemen, often in parabolic form, that delivers to us words of life. Words about how to understand life. Words about how to live life. Words about what life is all about. Words about eternal life. Only he. Only he offers us. Words of life. And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if I bored you this morning, I'm sorry. But you make sure you be back when we get to his words. Because they are words of life. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you will help your people understand these things that are so critical in the 
teaching methodology of Jesus Christ, the things that, that he uses to make sure that we get it. And I pray that you will help us get it and that you will help the preacher properly teach it so that we can walk away in possession of, of truths that will save our souls, truths that will tell us how we're to, to think, truths that will tell us about our sin, truths that will tell us that the only way that any of us is ever saved is through what Jesus Christ did for us and none other. Truths that will tell us that our works are filthy rags before you. Truths about the safety and security of your people who embrace the Lord Jesus. Father, would you, um, would you make these rich times for your people at Grace of Anne? And would you use these words of life from our Savior to instruct us in a life of righteousness? And Father, for those who have come whose eyes are blinded, whose ears are stopped up, by the power of the sovereign spirit, give them eyes to see and ears to hear. That they too might embrace the beauty of this Savior. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.